Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Forever Love Podcast. I am your host and Christ-centered relationship coach, Lily Matonguiza. And before we get started, I just want to kind of give you an update on what I'm up to and where I'm headed, because in 12 days, I and my girls are going back to Zimbabwe, and I am so excited. The anticipation is just buzzing, which means there's also a lot to do. Um, We plan to go, and our intentions are to be living in Canada for five months and Zimbabwe the other seven. So in the future, it should be October through till May. We're in Zimbabwe and then the summers we're spending in Canada trying to give our girls the best of both worlds. Um, And in Zimbabwe, one of the things that we get to do is create our dream life. Now, this is so much fun and so hard because when you dream big, you fail hard and you keep trying to do things and the inevitable failures happen and you're living them out in a very rough and unforgiving environment. It is hit or miss. And when you miss, there are real problems. There are real consequences. It's not like, oh, well, you know, we'll try again tomorrow. It's you've got to figure things out. And I'm I'm excited because it's going to give me an opportunity to we're moving to a new place that should have a lot more green space in which I can garden. And I'm very excited to become more of an herbalist and a homesteader and a homeschooler, really doing a lot of stuff in the home, which is a huge contrast to my single parenting journey that I do during the summer five months out of the year. So I just wanted to bring this up because what I hope that you see in me is not that there are these idyllic marriages where everything seems to work and that you can have this idyllic marriage. I want you to know that a Christ-centered marriage will face all of the hardships and challenges and agony and celebrations and wonders and miracles and triumphs and failures as anybody else on earth. We all get a fair share of 50-50. We get way too much stuff that we do not deserve. None of us are deserving the cruelty or the grace. That is life here on earth. Um, But we get options about how we're going to show up for those life events and who we're going to act like while we're there. And my goal is to live in a Christ-like way. And that means adopting the mind of Christ and cultivating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I do that to the best of my ability, but I am human. And I would not um, suggest that you imitate me as I imitate Christ. I suggest you just go straight to the source and try to imitate Christ. Try to pay attention to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So today I was doing my journaling, as I try to always do, and I was asking myself the question, who do I need to be for this next chapter in my life? It was beautifully um, symbolic that I am on the last page or two of my journal, and 
I won't travel with journals. They're so heavy. Um, the way we live, you you have to be a min- minimalist to some extent. And it's really hard because I buy in bulk to take stuff with me. And I can only take so much. I can take this round. We're going with six suitcases. Each suitcase can have 50 pounds in it. So I have to think through my choices very, very carefully and think about what is really going to serve me me considering where I'm going. I know the terrain. I've been there before. So what do I need to take with me? What tools, what seeds, because I'm going to grow a lot of my own stuff, what clothing, all of these things I have to plan and anticipate so that I'm prepared when we hit the ground. Now, I also do this mentally. I asked myself, who do I need to become in order to really be the heroine in this next chapter? Not that I'm ever trying to outplace God, like God is obviously the hero in my story, but I have an important role to play as one of the characters in this story. And I want to show up in a heroic way. And that means I had to sit back and ask myself, what am I going to need for the journey ahead? I'm going to need to have a lot of patience with myself. I'm going to have to be patient with how long these things actually take. How long does it actually take to get a seed from the seed to a squash that you can feed your family. I'm going to have to be patient with that. I'm going to have to be patient with myself when I try to grow stuff and it doesn't grow or I mess it up or it all gets eaten or it doesn't work. And what am I going to do about that? So I know that I'm going to have to be patient with myself. I know that I'm going to have to be disciplined. I know that I'm going to have to be very warm and loving. When I'm here, it serves me to be a little bit more standoffish and indulge some of my tendencies to just hyper fixate on work and getting stuff done and producing a lot of stuff um, in in my workspace around my courses, my my this stuff that I do for you. But when I'm in Zimbabwe, it's got to be a lot more family centered. Their kids aren't going to be going to school and my husband will be there. So I've got to be a lot more available. And that means as well, that I'm using these last couple of weeks to really be intentional about self-love and to kind of mini hibernate. Life kind of makes you do stuff and I use that as a cue. The other week I was down. I got sick, couldn't move, spent the week in bed. And I kind of use that as a clue or a hint or suggestion to slow down because Once you get to Zimbabwe, things are going to be really, really fast paced. There's going to be a lot of action. In Canada right now, it is fall. It is time for harvesting. It is time for putting a lot of things to bed. It is a change of seasons. And I noticed last time I was in Zimbabwe, I went from one Canadian summer right into the Zimbabwe summer and it felt really exhausting. It burnt me out because it was a lot of very fast paced action back to back to back to back. And so even though this is not a full winter, I mean, Canadian winters are are about seven months long, which is why we're getting out of here. Um, I definitely love sun more than snow. 
but it's it's that time for me to be intentional about taking a little bit more time to rest, getting to bed a little bit earlier, not being so intense about getting up super early and going out for jogs in the rain because you know what? The environment and everything else is just reminding me it's okay to have downtime. It's okay to go through that cycle where where there are seasons where I'm all about it. I'm after it and I'm getting it. And there are other seasons when it's time to just turn inward, turn back to Christ, really think through and plan for your future. Be creative first in your mind and heart, and then you show up and produce that creativity in the world. So that's just a little snapshot about what I'm up to and where I'm headed. It's also why I'm going to be doing a lot more uh, sharing, resharing the Friday Zoom classes that we're doing together as a group, and I want you to come to the next one. So today's episode is the replay from last week's. Last week, we talked about how to use the life code in order to understand the Bible and particularly miracles. When we understand the way in which God is trying to help us naturally flow, that we're not supposed to be reacting to our circumstances the way we are and how we adopt the mind of Christ and how that produces miracles. That can be life-changing information. I cannot overemphasize the truth behind that. This is one of the things that genuinely changed my life when I figured out, oh, that's how you get into alignment with the will of God. Because up until that point, I always felt like I was swimming upstream because I was. And as soon as, and that doesn't mean I still don't resist and I still don't head in the exact opposite direction, just like Jonah and his whale. Um, but now I at least understand the inevitable, that this is how life on earth works, and this is how we can cooperate with Christ, and why the opposite just isn't effective and leaves you with unnecessary suffering and struggling. So listen to this episode. If you were at last week's class. Thank you for coming. It is so good to see you. I love answering your questions. I love having these conversations with you and I want to encourage you to come and join us again this week because this week we are going to talk about digging yourself out of a hole. So this is for anybody who has ever felt like you are stuck, whether it's a relationship rut or you're just feeling stuck in any kind of way, or you feel like you've had a really bad fail, maybe you've gone through a divorce, or you've gone into debt, or you've lost something really important, or someone, and things are just so far from where you need them to be, or where you expect them to be, or where you want them to be. That is something we are going to work through on Friday. And I want you to come because I can help you start moving forward, start getting yourself out of that rut. I want to share with you first how we stop using scripture against ourselves, because that is something I see a lot of. When we get stuck, when we have hard things, when we go through hard times, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, and we get really flustered because we're like, oh my gosh, why am I here? What did I do to deserve this? And we use scripture and we use our mind against us. This is what I want to help you with. So please come this Friday. 
They're always on Zoom, Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. This is going to continue again once I leave Zimbabwe or arrive in Zimbabwe. We're going to continue with the Zoom classes, assuming the internet works and all the things that there are things you just can't take for granted when you live in certain places. Things like internet, things like power, um, you can't assume that they will be there because in most of the world, they're not. And so I hope and pray that God will give me the resources and everything I need to continue to do this work. But it is, it is a risk I take when we go over there. There's just not the kinds of guarantees and even even the things we think are guaranteed over here are really an illusion. Like all my fresh world friends out there, all my North American friends, please remember that the illusion of security we have around here is very fragile and it can be very quickly exposed and none of us really have any true security outside of Christ. So when you look at me and you think I'm doing crazy risky, courageous, you might probably have lots of ideas about the kind of stuff I do. But I want you to know, I understand that the security we all have is an illusion. And true security, true security comes from Christ alone. That doesn't mean I don't do everything I can to do my due diligence, keep my family safe and act responsibly because I know I am responsible for my thoughts, my emotions and my actions and the results they produce. So it does not serve me to panic. It does not serve me to worry, obsess, um, any of that stuff. But I do want to be honest about the realities. I want to face reality with the confidence uh, that I can can work miracles, that I can do all things through Christ, that I can move mountains because I have Christ with me. And it doesn't mean it'll be easy, but I know that it is doable. I can figure these things out. I've got a mighty, mighty God. And so I do it with a lot of courage and love, hoping, knowing I'm going to fail and that hoping that I will fail in the direction of love. So Join us this Friday and every Friday for free group coaching and classes and to do to be invited you do have to subscribe to the email list so head over to proverbs2426.com/subscribe and you will get the email that has our link to join and all the good things so come check it out. Until then, please enjoy last week's episode where we're going to talk about the life code and how to use it to produce miracles. Okay, today we are talking about the life code and how we can use it as a Bible study tool. Um, the Life Code is one of my favorite coaching tools, and I use it all the time within my sessions. It's a tool that you can use, well, I use as a coach to help you, but it's also a tool that you can use on yourself once you understand how it works and how to apply it to your own life. So one of the things that I would like to share with you is an overview of what the life code is and how we use this powerful tool. But then I want to dive into some specific examples of how we can use this within our Bible studies, because this is where it starts to get really exciting. When I learned about the life code, I learned about it in a, a very different context, in a purely psychology-based 
context. And when I realized how it applies, how I can use that tool to understand um, what, what really is happening when we look at the Bible, when we see miracles playing out, when we see amazing works being done, how is that possible? And I believe that understanding the life code gives us an opportunity to better understand how some of those things occurred and to make sense of it in a way that allows us to align ourselves with the miracles and our God-given desires that we want to create and experience in our life with Christ. So. In short, the life code is this beautiful tool that really breaks life down into its frames. Imagine life like a movie and every moment of your life is a different frame within the movie. So if we're watching a movie, we know that within the movie, there it is, we're seeing it and it looks like it's all playing out in real time. But we know if we look at the film, we will see many, 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 many individual frames, right? And they are all happening in rapid succession. And that gives it the illusion that this is like playing out in real life. And so we can use that as a metaphor to understand the life code. At any given moment, we can get really clear on exactly what is happening in that particular frame. Now, in the course of a day, you will have a bajillion frames, right? Because you're having constant moments and there are life code after life code after life code constantly happening. But in order to understand what allows the major changes in our life to take place, what really changes the needle and makes stuff happen, we have to understand what motivates it and what creates it. So we're going to do that today. I want to begin, though, with a prayer because I believe that this is that work that we're doing in cooperation with God at all times. We are leaning on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We are asking the Holy Spirit to be our good counsel in all of this, and we are attempting to align ourselves with the mind and emotions of Christ. We are trying to adopt the mind of Christ, and we are attempting to cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are humans, and we will fail at this. Guaranteed guaranteed humans fail in their attempts to pursue God. We just do. That is the reality of life on earth as a human. And so we want to be in the practice, not on of being perfect Christians, because that's just not going to happen. We want to be in the practice of erring on the side of love. We want to err at least in the direction, right direction. We want to err falling forward, if you know what I'm saying. So we're going to start with this prayer, and I would invite you to close your eyes, bow your head, whatever is most comfortable to you. Lord, we thank you for this time and this sacred space, and we ask that you would do with it what you will. Lord, we present this time and space to you, and we ask that you would bless each one of us here today and those who want to be here and will listen later or catch a replay, and we just ask that you would bless them and encourage them on their journey towards a Christ-centered marriage. Lord, we pray for your daughters, that you would help them to adopt the mind of Christ, that you would help them to fuel their lives with love 
and peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, we pray that you would guide their hearts and their minds at all times so that they can be Christ-like and that they can do good works in your name. We pray that you would help them to honor their God-given desires in a way that brings glory to you and is good for them. Lord, we trust you with our lives. We trust you with our future. And we trust you in this moment. And we pray that today, here and now, that you would bring revelation, clarity, understanding, wisdom, comfort, joy, whatever is needed, Lord, for the women who are in attendance at this time. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Bless your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so we are talking about how to understand the life code within the context of the Bible. So basically, the life code helps us to break everything in life into five categories. Everything that we can experience in this world can fit within five categories, okay? The first is life. There's stuff in life that could be our past, our future, our environment, our whatever is the thing, the life that is happening, the circumstances that you find yourself in, your situation. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. Like whatever is the thing, the problem is usually we would put that in the life line. So we, I, I talk about the lifeline, the mind line, the emotion line, the action line, the outcome line, because we write down sentences in each of those lines. We write down what it is. And there's a lot of further explanation and step-by-step instructions on how to use the life code within the Foundations for Love program. And I would encourage you to check that out, but I am going to do my best to explain it here. And if you have questions, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to ask me because I'm here to help and I don't know what you don't know. So you got to let me know and then we can help each other out from there. Okay. So life is all the stuff that is happening to us. The stuff that we are experiencing is life, okay? And we have no control over life, especially since it's already happened. In this moment, everything that has happened is already like happening and in the past. Immediately, the present is becoming the past. As soon as you are thinking about it, it's becoming the past, right? And we are either like remembering the past or like projecting into the future. This is all happening within our brain. And so the next line is our mind, how your mind interprets everything else that's going on around you. Okay. This is really, really important to understand because on our own, as human beings, our mind has three objections, objectives. The brain has three objectives. Okay. All it wants to do is avoid pain, seek pleasure, and conserve energy. That is how the brain is designed to survive. It just wants to avoid pain. Don't get eaten. Don't get hurt. Don't get killed. Don't get heartbroken. Don't get, you know, exiled. Avoid pain. Seek pleasure because things that keep you alive are usually very rewarding. We want to feed the dopamine system by getting food, by having shelter, by having community around us, by having connection. We want to do these things to stay alive because a person who is alone in the elements will probably die. So we are biologically hardwired to seek after pleasure, okay? 
So it, it makes sense. The reason you want these things in your life is because you know that they're at some level good for you. Now, we often have some indulgence problems and some overdoing it problems, but ultimately the brain is wired to seek the things that are going to help you stay alive. And the third thing your brain wants to do is conserve energy. It doesn't want to run any further than it absolutely has to because it wants to make sure that if a bear is chasing you, you still have some energy left over to run some more. Okay, so it's always looking to keep you relaxed, keep you safe and to conserve that energy for an ambush, essentially. So when you want to sit on the couch and watch, scroll through social media and eat some ice cream, your brain is in heaven. Your brain doesn't want to do anything else. It has pleasure. It is avoiding pain and it is conserving energy. This is a good day for your brain. Anytime you're sitting at home, watching TV, watching, being entertained in some way um, and, and chilling, your brain is very happy. When you are in your comfort zone, your brain is like, yes, I have successfully kept her alive again today. We are doing a great job. And so don't beat yourself up when your brain is behaving in a way that is very human, okay? You're sitting on the couch, chilling, watching Netflix for a very good reason. You might think you're being lazy. You might have some thoughts about what you're doing, but I want you to understand that this is just a very natural byproduct of the way we are built by God to survive. Now, we are also built to have a relationship with God, and this is where we get to start to break from our biology. We do not have to be in obedience to our biology. It has some great default programming, but we are not meant to live our lives on the default settings. They're just there in case of emergencies, okay? We're supposed to be living in relationship to God. And so that means we're putting forth the effort to adopt the mind of Christ. So we have the lifeline, stuff is happening. And then we have the mind and the way the brain is interpreting all the information. And when we have our brain doing whatever it wants, it's going to always act like <laughs> it's my metaphor here is like a dog that is going to find smelly objects out in the wild. It's just like seeking after whatever it should be paying attention to. It's going to follow whatever trails, rabbit trails, you know, it's just going to wander. Brains wander, right? They go find interesting ideas to contemplate and ruminate on and they obsess and they, you know, revisit and, and go over memories and replay scenarios and make up arguments. They do all these things, right? all within the comfort of our own ears, within the own brain. And so what we want to do is not just let our brain do whatever it wants all the time, okay? We want to begin to, first of all, acknowledge that we are not our brains. We are distinct and separate, just like you are not your kidney, you are not your lungs, you are not your throat, you are not your eyeballs, you are also not your brain. And so the stuff that your brain comes up with is not who you are. It is just ideas that you have been programmed to work with, okay? So you've been working with a set of ideas, and those ideas are flexible. You can change them if you want to. You can adopt new ones. We can also get rid of old thoughts that no longer serve us. When we recognize that there are certain thoughts that no longer help us move forward, that actually hinder our progress, we have the ability to begin letting them go. 
Now, it doesn't happen easily or naturally. It is a discipline to begin to adopt the mind of Christ. It really requires us to take every thought captive, surrender it to God, and really sort through those thoughts and figure out what here is worth keeping, what here would God agree with, what do I need to come up with still, what do I have to search for, more truth perhaps, and which lies do we need to expose and acknowledge and like get rid of. So this is an entire process. And when we recognize which thoughts are happening, we can figure out which emotions are coming up for us. Okay. Every thought creates an emotion. We feel our thoughts. We have a thought and then we feel it in our bodies, right? We have a thought that is all lovey-dovey and then we feel warm and bubbly. It's just how it, the first it happens in the brain and then it happens in the physical body. So it's really important to know that because a lot of people think that they can experience an emotion without having a thought first, that something can make them feel this way. Okay. Like someone dying will make you feel sad, but it's not exactly true. There's a thought in there that makes you feel sad. And everybody who encounters that death is going to have a different reaction to it based on how they're thinking and feeling, right? If somebody dies, we don't all automatically feel sad and grieve, right? That would be chaos because there's constantly people dying everywhere. So if people dying just automatically sent everybody around them into grief, that would be crazy. That's not what happens, though. We don't experience any emotion until we find out about it. So until somebody calls you and says, oh, by the way, uh, Uncle Phil died. You don't have any thoughts or feelings about it. But as soon as someone says Uncle Phil is dead, then your brain kicks into gear and your interpretation of Uncle Phil's death could be very different from mine. If I had an abusive relationship with Uncle Phil and you had a very beneficial relationship with him, we're going to have very different emotions about his passing, right? And so the difference is going to come from what we're thinking about it, our story, what's what's there, our history, what our brain tells us we should make this event mean. And when we are acting on our emotions, we are either working with positive emotions or negative emotions, right? And this is where we start to see the balance between like good work and sin really take place. Now, I want to offer that Sin occurs when we indulge a negative emotion. When we take a negative emotion, and our negative emotions often come with like demanding action steps, like I'm mad, I need to smash this plate, right? Like the emotion tells you you have to do something, you have to do it right now right? Like it wants you to do something and it's usually very impulsive. It just wants to discharge that uncomfortable feeling. And so when we are in obedience to that, that is when our actions become sinful. Okay. I personally do not believe that we sin in our mind or in our emotions, minds and emotions, thoughts and emotions are all neutral. Okay, it's not until we act on those negative emotions that we begin to step into sin. Does that make sense? Please, if I am overwhelming anybody, if you have questions, there is a chat box. You can also raise your hand and I would be happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, don't get overwhelmed. 
if there's anything you want to know more about, I want to share that with you, but I'm going to kind of continue from there. So we've got the actions and we want to pay attention to what we are doing. And from there, we create our outcomes. What is the result? What is the final end result of our thoughts, emotions, and actions in any given situation? So when we understand the life code, we can use this as a Bible study tool. And I want to use the example of the woman with the issue of blood. And I'm going to go ahead and try to share my screen with y'all and see if this works. I'm hoping we can go like this. Okay. I hope you see my screen and I hope you're seeing Luke 8 verses 43 to 48. I'm going to read it real quick for everybody's benefit. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her life upon all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng, uh, the multitude throng thee and press thee and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Okay. So I want to show you how we can kind of use the life code to break down this story. So we've got life. And in this situation, we have the woman bleeding, uh, bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus is in town. So we're keeping it very factual. What are the facts of this situation, right? There's a woman, she's been bleeding for 12 years and Jesus is in town. Now we want to look at what she must have been thinking. Okay. What was she thinking that would cause her a woman? We want to keep in mind the context of this situation, right? So this woman has been bleeding. When you are bleeding, you are unclean. You cannot have company over. Nobody can sit in the same chair as you. Like you can't touch anybody. You are unclean. And you're supposed to go around saying unclean, unclean, so that people can get out of your way and avoid touching you. So for her to go and touch the most popular person in town and just like touch him would have been extremely um well, inappropriate, according to a lot of people there. So what was she thinking? What would cause her to not focus on those things? Her mind obviously didn't go there because if her mind had stayed in that place of like, oh, here's all the reasons why I definitely should not go touch Jesus, she would have felt a lot of fear and she would have been paralyzed by that, by that fear and she wouldn't have done anything and she would not have received her miracle. But instead, she must have thought something like, he can help. He can help. And no matter what, I have to get to him. Okay? So that thought, 
that had to have stirred up an emotion for her. And what emotion could have possibly been strong enough for her to step forward and do that thing? Well, it says in Luke that she, um, it was her faith that made her whole. So that tells us that she must have been feeling, if we put down our emotion, she was feeling faith, probably courage and a lot of hope, right? We don't know if it necessarily know exactly which emotion she was feeling. It was probably a, a bit of a combo, right? We could have some mixed emotions there, but she was definitely having courage and courage is a form of love. I would definitely classify courage as like a breakdown of love. Um, and so we can really see that when she was thinking he can help me and no matter what I have to get to him and she was being led by faith, courage, hope, love, then her action was to touch the hem, right? And the outcome was a miracle, right? She was made whole. Bleeding stopped. So we see here how we experience miracles, that it is a result of the, that miracles occur when the mind and emotions are in alignment with the heart and mind of Christ. Okay, so that is how we come into alignment. We get our mind and emotions in alignment with the mind of Christ. And we've talked before uh, a, a lot in these group coaching sessions about how do we determine if we're on the right track. We want to judge the thoughts according to the fruit that they produce. Okay, so really paying attention. Does the thought create an emotion that is in alignment with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Can we see that there's a relation there to the fruit of the Holy Spirit? So questions, comments, statements so far. I'm going to stop sharing and I'm going to try and go back here. All right. Questions. I see Angie. She says she heard of the prophecy of the Messiah and believed Jesus was he and had faith he would heal her. Her belief of this and how she was able to obtain the healing, no room for doubt and unbelief. Exactly. So she showed up. She just decided, I'm going to believe this no matter what. Okay. She didn't have any evidence yet. She couldn't look to the evidence because evidence would have pointed away from this action, right? It would have told her, don't do that because that's a bad idea. The evidence was against her, but she leaned on the faith. She believed in Christ. And so she took action from that place of love and faith in Christ. So we can see how these things play out when we have miracles in our past. So once we have experienced a miracle, then we begin to have confidence, right? We start to know, like after the woman... Uh, received the healing, Jesus spoke to her, Jesus confirmed the miracle. And he said, you are a daughter of God. And so now her thought, her mind is saying, I am a daughter of God, and my faith has made me whole. Sheer emotion is going to be built in confidence and peace in Christ. Her action is to follow um, Jesus's instructions and go in peace and to live her life. And the outcome is she lives her life whole and healed. Isn't that beautiful? And we can create miracles too, my friends. We can co-create miracles with Christ. And your God-given desire is where we're looking to create a miracle, right? And a miracle is really simply us participating in the will of God. It's really that simple. God wanting to do something, us being like, yeah, me too. It's a good time. We've got a want match. Though that That's miraculous. That is 
humans and God cooperating, awesome, miraculous stuff. And so we can participate in that through our journey towards a Christ-centered marriage, because that is a miraculous outcome. A Christ-centered marriage is a miracle. Like, and that's where I really, I say this all the time and I'm going to keep saying it. We have to separate Christ-centered marriage, the miracle that is a Christ-centered marriage from everything else that you see out in the world. Stop comparing your love life to Sally's because Sally didn't do any of the stuff da, 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 and she got married and how come she gets to have all these things? Is her marriage a Christ-centered marriage? We want to always be asking that question before we start like comparing because otherwise we're comparing to something that that isn't even a close relative, okay? So let's look at temptation. And I think the most interesting place to look at temptation is with Christ, because Christ was tempted, but he did not sin. So how does that work? This is super interesting. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen again, because I want to look at this scripture for this one. Let me see. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we're going to break this down a little bit, okay? So temptation occurs when we act in obedience with negative emotions. And one of the things that Satan likes to do is provoke us with thoughts that are going to stir up negative emotions in us. He wants to, that's, you know, the, the, the mind is the devil's playground. He wants to stir up these thoughts in our heads to create these negative emotions, because he knows if we act impulsively on those negative emotions, we are not going to be in alignment with God and we are going to fall into sin. Okay. So what negative emotion is Satan trying to stir up in Jesus in this first temptation? And I would like to offer that Satan is saying, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He is trying to stir up the emotion of deprivation. You're starving. You deserve this and entitlement, right? You're the son of God. Let's do it, right? He's really provoking him. He wants him to indulge in that emotion of entitlement. You are the son of God and you can have bread whenever you want to. So what are you doing over here? Starving. He's trying to make him feel stupid, foolish, useless, whatever. He's trying to provoke him to act out of those negative emotions. And Jesus comes back and says, flip page, man shall not live on bread alone right? But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan is trying to bring up a lot of deprivation, lack, starvation, all that. And Jesus is showing him that he is satisfied. He is abundant and he is confident in the love of God and the abundance of the word of God, right? So Satan offered him scarcity. Jesus came back with abundance. 
Verse five, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in this one, Satan is trying to stir up insecurity. And like, who do you think you are? Are you really the son of God? Prove it, right? Prove it. Insecurity. So much insecurity. Satan is always playing on the emotion of insecurity. He loves that emotion because we'll do a lot of desperate things from a place of insecurity. And Jesus comes back and he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I know who I am. And he expresses self-control. I'm not going to throw myself off a building. I know who I am. Okay. And then in the last temptation, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. So what is Satan stirring up for him here? Compromise, right? Compromise, surrender. And Christians, we love this. We think we have to surrender. We're always trying to surrender things. We're always trying to compromise things. But compromise and surrender can be very, very dangerous when we do it in the wrong ways with the wrong things, right? We do not want to surrender to Satan, even if it means we will get all these things. We want all those things, but we have to do it in the right order. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus comes back with authority and confidence in who he is all right he says i know who i am worship me i am the lord okay and then we have the end result we kind of see in in this last verse the the full play out of this life code we see that jesus faces satan that's our circumstance that's our situation we have the mind of christ i know who i am i am who i am and we have the emotion of love because that is the most powerful emotion. And I believe all of these other emotions we saw from Christ with authority, confidence, self-control, abundance, satisfaction, peace, all of these are a, a reflection of love, right? And the action that Jesus took in this entire situation was to stand firm, stand firm in the truth of God. I know who I am. And the outcome is that Satan flees and angels come and attend him. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Okay. So we're going to come back to here. Hello again. I hope you can all see me now. Any questions so far? Questions, comments, chat? You want to chat about it? Isn't it brilliant though? Like I really love being able to understand self-control and confidence and understanding it from this place of love because so often we try to embrace self-control. We want to control our behavior. We want to manage our action line. We don't want to sin, right? And sin occurs in the action line. So we try to manage our behaviors, but we try to do it with our action line. Like we try to manage our actions with our actions. And I mean this by saying we rely on things like traditions, laws, culture, expectations, demands, religion to make us do the right thing. And we try to keep ourselves so busy doing right actions 
that we ignore the thoughts and emotions part of it. We don't want to pay attention to the thoughts and emotions. We just kind of like push them aside. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. As long as I just do, I just need to do what I'm supposed to do. Keep your head down, do what you're supposed to do. And that works in a human context. I mean, like that's what human authority wants, but God given authority, the relationship we have with God isn't about like restrictions and demands. It's about freedom and love. And so our ability to have self-control comes from our relationship with God, not our commitment to actions. Okay. Because actions, we can't overly commit to the action line. We have to commit first to adopting the mind of Christ and expressing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, especially just if you're ever had a lack for which one we need to focus on, just go with love. Love keeps it nice and simple. But I really believe that joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control can only occur from love. Okay. So all the other positive things, emotions that we can experience are all going to be an expression of that love, right? So So, oh, I did want to talk about this prayer. When we're talking about prayer, where does prayer fit into the life code? And I, I want to offer, we could put it in a couple different places, but I want to just say that prayer is about communion with God. Okay. It's about reconnecting with God and God is love. So if we spend enough time in prayer, We'll know we are done. We have spent enough time in prayer when we get back to that baseline of love. Okay. Prayer should transform us, not our circumstances. A lot of times we pray for miracles. We're doing it in a way that doesn't, isn't very effective because we're praying that God would change our circumstances, change what's already happening and what has happened. And God doesn't do that. He doesn't change what is. He changes you and you end up changing. You are the instrument. You are the vessel that he uses to change things going forward. Does that make sense? That's a really tricky one to realize. Like God isn't interested in changing your circumstances. Your circumstances are fine. Like that's hard because I know a lot of us are dealing with really difficult circumstances. We're dealing with death, illness, pain, injury, loss, regret, resentment, rejection, lots of really hard emotions and circumstances. And we just want God to fix it. And God isn't worried about, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong here, right? Like this is where this stuff happens. We're on earth. This happens here. Then that's not a problem per se. If this was happening in the kingdom of, if this was happening in heaven, that would be a problem, right? Like God does not allow these things to happen in heaven, but he does allow them to happen here. It's, this is where we figure it all out. This is where we figure out how to be Christ-like. Okay. And so it's okay that these things are happening and it's okay for you, for God to use you to change it. Sometimes we just kind of want to like step back and we don't have to want to have a lot of responsibility for the changes that are going to happen. We just kind of want to leave it to God. But understanding that we have responsibility for our own thoughts, emotions, and actions helps us to really figure out what do I need to surrender to God and what do I need to take responsibility for? So when this comes to dating or pursuing love, We can't do anything about how many men are available, how far they live from us, 
what their personality is like, what their relationship with God is like. Like we don't have any control over the men, none. We may have influence in the future when God uses us and we are showing up with love and creating a lot of value for our partner or whoever we're dating. God can use us in many ways and that may impact the world around us. They will see the love of God. And of course that will have miraculous effects, but God isn't worried about changing the circumstances, right? He wants to change and transform your thoughts, your mind, and your heart. And so when it comes to your singleness, really determining like what is your life code going to be around your singleness? If you want to create, um, if you want to create that miracle and get uh, married to an equally yoked partner, what does that life code look like? So I want to offer you a possible life code. I'm going to write it down here. So text, do this guy over here, maybe. Okay. Life, single, right? That's your status. Your, your situation is that you're single. The mind, emotions, and actions are still up for debate. We're going to talk about that. But the outcome we want to create is a Christ-centered marriage. Can't spell Christ-centered marriage. Okay, that's the outcome we are trying to create. So what are we going to have to do? We know that we're going to have to operate from love, right? We're going to need to fuel every action that we're going to take from a place of love. And when we are operating from love, really what we do becomes a lot less relevant, right? You could do a lot of things. You could do online dating. You could do speed dating. You could ask your friends to hook you up. You could, um, I don't know, like there's so many options. You could go to community festivals. You could meet people at the library or the cafe or at a museum. It doesn't really matter so much what you're doing in the action line when your actions are being fueled by love, okay? It's like, you can't go wrong. It's just, it's going to work much better. You will not necessarily be successful, but you will err on the side of love. Okay. So we're going to take massive action fueled by love. Okay. But what are you going to need to be thinking about your singleness and your God-given desire for marriage in order to take massive action fueled by love? And I would simply suggest as a starting position, as a starting thought, adopting the thought of, I will honor this God-given desire. Oops. Okay. I will honor this God-given desire. So if you're single and your mind is committed to the believing and working on the thought, I will honor this God-given desire. And you feel a sense of love when you think that thought and you start taking massive action. I know that it is only a matter of time before you eventually create your Christ-centered marriage through Christ, in cooperation with Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, because we are focusing primarily on cultivating the mind of Christ and cultivating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So that basically brings us to the end of what I wanted to teach today. And I would love to get into some more coaching. If you have questions, and I'm sure you do, if you would like to be coached, if you have a specific example you would like us to look at, I want to offer this time to you. So who, who's got a question? Who wants to be coached? 
Let's see. Hello. Hello. Hi, Marlene. Hi, how are you? So good. How are you? I'm doing well today. And Perfect. this is how can um, I help? Just so inspirational. Um, it really turned on a light, light bulb moment. Beautiful. Oh, are you still there? Oh, no. It looks like she lost her connection. Anybody else have a thought, question, comment, conversation they would like to have about this? Let's see. Kay says, excellent job, Lily. So what do you do if that this desire evades you? Ooh, I'm going to come back to that question. Okay. I hear who would like to ask the next question. I see Kay. What's up, Kay? Not much, Lily. How are you? So good. Good. How can I help? Um, I think the information you're providing is excellent, but I know that I can't be the only person who has the godly desire to find her mate and yet finds herself <clears throat> with that desire essentially evading her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that becomes the circumstance. Like, I don't have my God-given desire, right? That's the fact. I'm mm -hmm. not in a relationship. And then we want to ask ourselves, I'm not in a relationship. Okay, I'm going to type this out because I think that helps for everybody to see. Wait, board sharing. Okay. How do I clear this? Clearing. Okay. Life says, I'm not in a relationship. Now, this could be a thought too, right? Like this is th something we're thinking. Let's use this as a thought, actually. So let's do the life thing is that you're single. Yes. And the thought is I'm not in a relationship. How does that thought make you feel? Sad. Sad. Yeah. And when you're sad, what do you do? In my case, I get very introspective. Uh-huh. So you get into your head, you think a lot of thoughts, you ruminate. Yes. Yeah. And what's the outcome of all that ruminating? More sadness. More sadness. Yeah. Do you worry yourself into a relationship? No, I wouldn't say that. that. Not, that hasn't happened for you yet? I don't know that and I'm worried about it. No. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like so many of us think that we can worry ourselves. Like we can think our way into a relationship that this worrying serves a purpose when in reality, it just creates more sadness. Right. And so Correct. we want to be really aware. So we're single. What are we going to think about our singleness? That's going to help us stay out of that sadness. <clears throat> what could bring you joy? What would you have to be thinking in order to create joy in your singleness while still pursuing a relationship? Well, that's a interesting question. I don't know that I have the, the answer to it. And that's where I help. 
So when we don't have an answer, oftentimes I help by just offering thoughts for you to try on. So we know that if you were feeling joy, what would you end up doing? How would you pursue your relationship? What action would you take from a place of joy to be available to meet people and find a relationship? Well, I mean, for me, I'm very goal oriented. So I mm-hmm. would set new goals. I, I just know that's what I would do. Mm. <clears throat> okay. So, so your action be, would be to work on goals. And I would say this is again, massive action. You're just going to take yep. action, keep doing stuff, try stuff and your mind to go from being single and experiencing joy. You just recognize that like joy and, and goals like you're a very goal oriented person. So maybe your thought here would be something like God has given me this goal and I'm going to work on it. I would say that does, that's extremely accurate. Mm, it, it how does it make you feel? Frustrated. Okay. So we're not at joy yet. Notice this is important. I offered you a thought and I was hoping it would create joy, but it didn't. It just makes you feel frustrated. God has given me a goal and I'm working on it. Just mm. so we want to move towards joy, right? So that's not the right one yet. We got to try on a new dress. So what about, I love this God-given desire. It's okay that it's not here yet. Well, that's a good one also. How does it feel? Better than the, you know, square peg round hole one. Mm, Yes. And so this is really important. We got to try them on. We got to figure out, well, that one felt frustrating. And this one feels, it's not joy yet, but it's, it's more peace, maybe peace about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now peace is a really good neutral emotion. That's a great way to pass through. And it's really a great place to start to create some evidence, especially when we don't have evidence yet, we can create it. So maybe we take some action from peace and we work on our goal and then we start to create some evidence and we, maybe we have a boyfriend now. And from that place of, I have a boyfriend, I'm not so single. Maybe from there, it's a little easier to get to joy because we're like, Hey, I'm on track with my God-given desire for marriage. I would say that that's certainly possible. So if you believed I'm on track with my God-given desire, how would that feel? Like if you really believed you were on track, <clears throat> right where you're um, supposed to be. I, would, I, I don't know that I would go all the way to the word joy, but I would certainly feel a sense of relief and happiness. There mm. would be happiness in that statement. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So really recognizing which emotions are going to help me move forward. And like I said at the beginning, it's frame by frame by frame by frame. We can break this down to the smallest of details and really understand ourselves at a deeper level. Or we can look at the big picture. We can look at the overall theme and we can look at the frame. So just like a movie, we can look at the theme of the movie. We can kind of figure out the life code for the theme of the movie. And we can go all the way down to an individual frame and look at what's going on as well. And that's where we can begin to fine tune things and figure out, well, 
what's holding me back here? What is this thought actually making me feel? And is it helping or hindering my progress? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Awesome. Any other thoughts or questions I can help you with? No, I think that's great, Lily. I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate on that. Perfect. All right. I have time for one or two more questions or coaching. Who can I help next? Go ahead, raise your hand, turn off your microphone, leave a comment in the chat box. Who is feeling brave? <laughs> Marlene, you're back. Okay. I'm sorry. I got cut no off before. My question was, um, once we sign up for coaching, uh, when do we get charged? Oh, when you sign up for the Foundations for Love program, you will be charged on a monthly basis uh, every month on the same day you started the subscription. So if you started today, today is October the 14th, you would be billed on the 14th of every month going forward. So the subscription packages start at $49 a month, and then you can build up from there depending on your budget and how much um, individual coaching you would like. Does that okay. make sense? And so uh, once yeah. you have purchased your um, your package, each month you will be invited to schedule the appropriate number of coaching calls with me um, for your package. So you'll get a new monthly package of coaching sessions for each month that you are um, enrolled. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This was such an awesome uh, session today. Thank you. Good. And all of these group coaching sessions are going to go into a library within the program as well. So you will always have access to all of the recordings of our group coaching sessions. And as our membership grows, this is probably going to take a few months down the road because we're a really small group right now, but there will be member only group coaching calls um, once we have enough members to support an additional coaching call. So there will always my goal is to reach as many people as possible and help serve them with this information and coaching as possible. So if you know somebody who would in any way appreciate the work that we're doing here, whether it's through coaching or just learning some of these things, um, please invite them to our next group coaching call. We're going to do another one every single Friday. And I would love to really build this group up as much as possible and give all of you the tools and resources that you need to thrive on this journey. I really want you to feel like you're successful, like you're making progress, like this is working. And I'm here to coach you through that and help you figure out the negative thoughts that don't serve you and focus on the truth, which sets you free and helps you to fuel this desire from a really healthy and amazing place. Sound good? Sounds great. Wonderful. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So if you want to sign up, if anybody here would like to sign up, please head over to Proverbs2426.com slash love, and you can get started today. I would love to get your first coaching session scheduled in, and we can go from there. All right. I have enough time for at least one more question. Who else has something they'd like to share or get coached on? Anybody? All right. Looks like you guys are all good. No more questions. Sasha says this is really helping. Great. I'd love to hear that. 
All right. Well, I wouldn't want to close early if anybody else has something they'd like to share or get coached on. It can be really, really helpful to just clarify something in your mind. Sometimes these like little thoughts get stuck in our heads. And once they're exposed for what they are, it's pretty easy to weed them out. But so often they just go undetected. We just think these thoughts are normal. We're really, really biased towards our own thoughts and perceptions. So once somebody else kind of holds up a mirror and you get a chance to reflect upon your own thoughts, that's when the revelations come. That's when you get the clarity. And it's like, oh, oh, I, I'm seeing what's going on now and why this hasn't been working the way I'd hoped it would. So I'm just looking back over my notes if there's anything else that I wanna cover. Yeah, the last thing I wanna leave everyone with is just if you don't know where to focus your time and energy when it comes to honoring this God-given desire, Focus on paying attention to your emotions first and foremost. Your emotions, I know a lot of women have been taught to ignore your emotions. They don't matter. And I'm not saying we need to like, and I don't want you to indulge your emotions either. What I want you to do is learn how to process them, become aware of them, increase your emotional intelligence so that you really understand how your emotions are affecting you and how you can cultivate emotions that serve you. We should be, our emotions and our mind are supposed to be in obedience to us. We get to decide what we want to think and believe, and we get to decide mm -hmm. how we want to feel. Like this is within our authority. This is our responsibility to manage our thoughts and our mind so that we create things that are in alignment with the kingdom of God. So mm -hmm. if you're not sure, stop focusing on your behavior. Stop mm. worrying about what you should do and focus mm. on how am I feeling and how do I cultivate love in order to do this thing? A lot okay. of you are real busy being Christians. You're right. at all the meetings, you're doing all the volunteer work, you're doing all the things, you're so busy being good that you don't have time to fulfill your God-given desire. And the problem is, while everybody, including you, think you're doing a really good job, you know deep down you're doing a lot of this from a place of resentment. You feel bitter, you feel used, you feel angry, wow. you feel shame, and you're doing this work and... It's not creating the results you want because it's all being fueled by this fear of being rejected, by being mm. ignored, by being left out. So really focus on what is fueling my behavior right now. If I don't wow. like something I'm doing, if I have this behavior that I keep doing, something compulsive, what's fueling it? Pay attention to the emotions that are fueling your behavior and Notice you can feel that emotion without being obedient to it. Just because anger says, tell her off, tell her how you really feel, say this thing, doesn't mean you have to do it. Your emotion will always give you these ideas of actions you could take, but they're often self-destructive. This is where we sabotage ourselves when we act on our negative emotions so it's really important that we we don't push them away we don't resist the negative emotions we don't try to like crucify them or anything they're not bad they're negative <laughs> in the sense that they don't feel good and they don't create positive results but they're not 
bad. They're not sin. They're just feelings. They're neutral. But when we act on them, that's when we get into bad behavior. Okay. That's when we are out of alignment with the will of God, because God always wants to operate out of love. Okay. Mm. So this has been a really amazing session. Thank you all for being here. I know um, you have lots of other places and things you could be doing. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with me. If you would like to take this to the next level, please join the Foundations for Love program. You can join and sign up at proverbs2426.com slash love. I would love to coach you. I would love to support you. I want to give you all the resources you need to take this journey and be incredibly successful with it and really enjoy love, relationship, connection, and belonging. Until next week, take care. God bless you. And thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to the Forever Love Podcast. I am your host and relationship coach, Lily Matanguiza. And if you would like to join us on this journey, go over to Proverbs2426.com slash love, all in lowercase letters, please. Otherwise, it doesn't quite work. But Proverbs2426.com slash love to join the Foundations for Love program. You will get instant access to all of my courses, which include my signature course, Ready for the One, plus the 31-day challenge, the Relationship Starter course, devotionals, meditations, relationship conversations, scripts, and questions to help you get started. Um, There's just a ton of material and resources available to you within the Foundations for Love program. I wanted to give you everything you might possibly need on this journey, plus coaching. You will get private one-on-one coaching with me as part of this program, and you can get started today for just $49 per month. And so I want to encourage you, head over to Proverbs2426.com slash love and get started because even though you might not believe this is possible for you, I know it is. I know that you can enjoy a Christ-centered and godly marriage, that you can go out and pursue love in a way that is beautiful, healthy, and honors you and your relationship with God. I want to help you make that a reality, and I am here to support you every step of the way. So head over to Proverbs2426.com slash love and get started today.